On June 19, 1960, a short-lived history-themed amusement park opened on what now sits Co-op City in the Bronx. Freedomland USA was considered by some to be the East Coast's version of Disneyland. But as journalist and author Mike Virgentino writes, unlike Disneyland, the story of Freedomland does not have a happily ever after. I'm Robin Shannon, and on today's Fordham Conversations, I sit down with Michael Virgentino to discuss his book, Freedomland USA, The Definitive History. It takes us through the park's developmental stages to the circumstances that befell the world's largest entertainment center. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. Good morning, Robin. Good morning. So uh, let's start from the beginning. How is Freedomland USA a little bit different from the conventional amusement park? Well, Freedomland was, in essence, a theme park, much like Disneyland is a theme park. Uh, it did not have thrill rides, and it did not have some of the other attractions. People from New York will remember Palisades Amusement Park, which had its own saltwater pool. Freedomland didn't have any of that. Freedomland was based on a theme, and the theme for the park was American history. American history. So Freedomland opened on a summer's day in 1960 with singer Pat Boone and his family cutting the ceremonial ribbon. So Mike, paint a picture of what visitors experienced as they walked inside the gates. Well, Freedomland was uh, uh, conceived with seven themed areas. All of them had something to do with American history. When they walked in the front gate, you would walk into little old New York of the 1890s. Uh, everything from a recreated uh, old brewery uh, that you would have found in Manhattan at that time. Uh, the tugboats uh, that they had in New York Harbor also at the time, as well as the winding streets of lower Manhattan and all the old shops. And among those shops was the original recreation of Macy's first store, and it was sponsored by Macy's. So, Mike, you were saying that um, you, in Little New York, they had, what kind of attraction did they had? I know they had, like, women's suffrage rallies and things like right. that. Right. They, they had a number of things in, in Little Old New York, as I mentioned, the brewery uh, that was sponsored by Schaefer. Uh, they had suffrage rallies. They had the old-time politician politicking uh, for the latest causes going on in New York. But from the 1920s? From, from, no, that? from the 1890s, 1890s. The or the turn of the century. They had uh, horse-drawn trolleys uh, on the trolley tracks like many of us who grew up in the Bronx can remember as late as the early 1960s. Trolley tracks still on some of the cobblestone streets in the Bronx. Well, they had that there also. They would have March bands going through or uh, German umpa bands playing uh, to entertain uh, the people. But Little Old New York wasn't so much on the attraction part. It was really just to create New York City at the turn of the last century. Uh, the harbor tugboats was uh, an attraction. You can uh, get on these boats and go through a man-made waterway that was supposed to simulate uh, New York Harbor. Uh, and then they had a lot of shops. They had uh, uh, street artists who would uh, 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 pencil draw your picture. Uh, they didn't have bank robberies? Uh, they had <laughs> bank robberies, too. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, you'd see a, a couple of crooks running down the street uh, with the Keystone Cops types of, of police officers running after them, and you might get caught up right in the middle of it as they're trying to, uh, to uh, nab the crooks and haul them off to jail. You also had a bank 
Bank of America sponsored a bank uh, and a building in Freedom Land, and they had exhibits uh, about uh, America's original money, but it was also a functioning bank. It was one of the first amusement parks or theme parks in the country to have a bank where you could actually uh, cash a check or draw out money. And they used that bank um, as the official Freedom Land bank. All the employees could cash their checks <laughs> at that bank, so it was convenient. And they really wanted to give you a feel like I was um, sitting or standing or walking in, in old-time New York. That's correct, because everyone who was in that themed area, including the bank tellers, were all dressed to the part of the 1890s. So when we, we kind of walk our way out of Freedom Land, what do we see next? Well, from New York, uh, you go under the uh, the steam engine train trestle, and you end up in old Chicago of 1871. And this was the year of the Great Chicago Fire. Uh, and there was an actual building uh, with the fire powered by gas jets that uh, in the early years of Freedom Land would uh, go off every 15, 20 minutes, and the whole building would catch on fire. But just prior to that, walking through the crowd, you would see Mrs. O'Leary and her cow greeting everyone to, uh, who's visiting old Chicago. And I use Mrs. O'Leary loosely because the, the pictures we find of Mrs. O'Leary at, at the time were one, uh, uh, two different men who portrayed and, Mrs. O'Leary. Mike, why they have men portray Mrs. I O'Leary? I don't know because they did have women character actors, but for some reason, I don't know if it was trying to manage the cow because it was a large cow, right. uh, but they, the only pictures we see are two different men. Uh, portraying Mrs. O'Leary, and all of a sudden, Mrs. O'Leary and the cow would have to walk away, and, and they would disappear. And within the next two minutes, all of a sudden, the alarm bells went off at the firehouse, and you see the flames pouring out of, of this two-story structure, and you see uh, these firefighters who are dressed in the 1870s Chicago-type uniforms, uh, opening the uh, the doors of the firehouse and pulling out this hand pump, water pump, uh, and racing to the scene of the fire. A lot of people think it was a replica hand pump, but it was actually one Freedom Land had found down south that goes back to about the 1860s. Um, and they would rush to the fire, set up the hand pump, and they would get all the kids to actually pump the water into the hose and the firefighter could get the hose uh, up on the building. Now, uh, the unfortunate thing is if, uh, like me, if you were either a little too young or a little too short, they pushed you away from that hand pump because as uh, one side of the pump went down, the other side went up. And if your feet left the ground, that was <laughs> a little dangerous. That was it. So you would chase away. So it was a little bit for the older kids or the little taller kids. Um, and all the kids who participated would get a certificate that they fought the Chicago fire. And uh, the fire would, as I said, in the early years would go off every 15, 20 minutes. And then as uh, the years went by, it maybe was once an hour, once every couple of hours. The reason being is is the flames were fueled by gas jets, and gas cost a lot of money. So they needed to cut back on expenses, so the fire uh, was stretched out over several hours rather than happening every 15 minutes. But I can imagine how much fun it was for guests who were kids or guest period to enjoy themselves in Freedom Land by participating in these events. A absolutely. It is one of the most photographed attractions in the park. 
that we have found, and uh, it, it is one that uh, of the few that people remember more than anyone else. It, it was just so unusual at the time. Uh, and then once you had the Chicago Fire, you also had a few other attractions in uh, old Chicago. Uh, they had a couple of uh, sternwheelers. They looked like Mississippi River boats, mm -hmm. uh, but what Freedom Land had done is they created uh, off of Chicago their version of the Great Lakes. So it was the New York Harbor tugboats, which were right next door. They had their harbor. Uh, Chicago had its harbor, but they shared the same waterway. So uh, you would be able to go on these stern wheelers, and you would have uh, banjo players on, and you would be taking a nice ride uh, over the Great Lakes. Uh, the waterway also shared uh, the, the area with another attraction that was only in existence for a couple of years at Freedom Land, which was the Indian War Canoes. You could get about uh, 18, 19 people into an actual canoe guided by actual Native Americans. And they, uh, there was a man-made island that we called Bird Island because uh, they would stock it with all kinds of fowl. Uh, uh, and uh, you could actually take the canoes and go around the shore of the island, uh, led by, uh, by a Native American. So they would sh all share that waterway. Sounds like a lot of fun. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon, talking with author and Fordham alum Mike Virgentino. We're discussing his book, Freedom Land USA, The Definitive History. It's a comprehensive look at the 1960s park Freedom Land that stood on what now is Co-op City in the Bronx. So once we're once we move through Chicago land, you're you're taking me on this tour, Mike. Right. We're moving through Chicago land. Uh, what were the attractions at the Great Plains and America's Western Grove? Right, the, the Great Plains also fascinated a lot of kids, including myself at the time. You entered Fort Calvary. The, the forts you would see in, in the westerns that were on television at the time or, or on the John Wayne movies, um, you were now in the fort. And it was like, you know, your childhood dream come true. It's like television just just coming alive to you. But one uh, interesting thing that uh, happened in the fort as well as in, a, in another western section that we'll get to in a little bit was uh, just like in little old New York, you had uh, spontaneous bank robbery. There you had a spontaneous gunfights. All of a sudden you would have uh, characters in their black hats, black cowboy hats coming in uh, to, to rob uh, the Pony Express station. And you had the, the marshal running out with his uh, deputies and they would hold a gunfight. And uh, these uh, character actors, m most of them were actual actors or stuntmen. So they did these uh, th their lines and their movements with with precision. It's and like watching a movie. It was like why you know you you just uh, watching a movie or you're home and you just turned on uh, wagon train and there it is right in front of you. And one of the most beloved characters of Freedom Land was often in this area of the park. His name was Digger O'Toole. He was the Wild West Undertaker. He was dressed in his black suit. Uh, his ribbon tie, and he had a top hat, and he always carried a, a, a lily. <laughs> so when someone was down and out, he would put the lily there. But he also, when one of the uh, bad guys uh, uh, succumbed uh, to the gunshots, he would pull out his uh, his his uh, 
his ruler, in a sense, stretch it out right. and measure it because he had to measure <laughs> them for the, for the pine box. <laughs> and uh, I remember one incident where they were going to actually hang one of the robbers who was caught alive. And they actually put him up there under the tree and they put the noose around his neck. You couldn't do this in parks today. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but but the, uh, the, the crook started arguing with Digger O'Toole because Digger was handing him his business card, which he actually had, and he would hand out to all, all the all the guests. Uh, like a souvenir. It was a souvenir, and it would say, you know, uh, Digger O'Toole, Undertaker at Freedom Land. I, you know, if you need me, I have the kickaway plan <laughs> that you can pay <laughs> in installments. But he was trying to uh, give the uh, card, and the guy started arguing with him, and he just, Digger always carried a regular, a real shovel. And he always had a black ribbon tied to the end of the shovel. And he th held the shovel up and he said, you know, you're going to meet your makers sooner if you start arguing with me. I'm not going to wait for the for the hanging. <laughs> but that was all part of the entertainment. Yeah. And the people were always crowded around, uh, 10, 12, 15 deep, parents holding their kids, their small kids on their shoulders. And sometimes, uh, which was funny, as uh, as these criminals were caught, well, one of them would go over to a kid who was on a, a dad's shoulders and grab the kid right <laughs> off the shoulders and hold them at, like at, as a hostage at gunpoint. And you, the, the shock on some of the, of the faces of these kids was was amazing. Somebody might have enjoyed that. Some might have been a little scared. Yeah, that's right. And you had other uh, popular characters, too, with the Great Plains. You had uh, Billy the Kid and Annie Oakley. Yeah, uh, Billy the Kid uh, was a teenager. Uh, his real name is Billy Collins. He was from uh, Long Island, and he got the job. Uh, his uh, a relative through marriage was uh, the official Freedom Land photographer. So he got the job, and he was called Billy the Kid, but he has told me sometimes he played the bad guys, sometimes he played the good guys. They took turns yeah. changing the color of their hats. Um, and uh, Billy, in my book, he was invaluable because he knew the stories of uh, of a lot of the character actors that he worked with back then. The, the names really had been lost to time. And because of his memory and the memory of others, we've been able to track down or the, at least the names of who these character actors were, though uh, very few of them are still with us. But but Billy is, uh, and, and uh, a woman who played the young Annie Oakley, she was originally from the Bronx, she wasn't supposed to be uh, working there at the time because she was under 16. But she befriended some of the character actors, especially the women character actors, and she was able to dress up in her own costume. And they kind of said, meet us every day at the uh, employee entrance, and uh, you know, you'll come in with us. And they taught her how to do pratfalls, how to shoot. Uh, and she just had fun because she wanted to be an actress. So she was a young kid uh, who was working with them at the time. Uh, she wasn't a Freedom Land employee because she was underage, but a number of the character actors would chip in from their paychecks at the end of the week and give her a few dollars. And she also made money posing for pictures. Because back then, uh, you would take a Polaroid camera, you take a picture with a Native American, but let's make it a little more uh, realistic. Let's get uh, a cowgirl in with the photo that you as a guest or you, your children could take. And you always had to leave a dollar or two in the kitty. And at the end of the day, they would split up the, the money, and, and she would get a portion of that Do also. Do we know Annie Oakley's name, her real name? Yeah, Annie, uh, her, her name is, is uh, 
Joy Eichler. Uh, she now goes, uh, her married name is uh, Joy uh, Robichaud. Uh, she lives in Arizona now. And again, through her, I was able to learn the names of a lot of the women performers uh, who performed in the saloon. And uh, they, a lot of them were either singers or actresses. Uh, some of these uh, character actors, singers, performers uh, had Broadway credits. They were either in the ensembles uh, or other roles on Broadway. Because it sounds like this would be a... Broadway without the actual way part, you know, this is their their performance. These were actors who were either between performances or especially in the summer, didn't go to do summer stock and were looking for other sources of income. As a matter of fact, the uh, the actor who played Digger O'Toole, his name was John Fortner. He has a number of Broadway credits. And what he loved so much about this, he said, I can ad-lib my lines. I don't have markers of where I have to stand. I can do what I want. And he really got into the role. And and that's why he was the most beloved character by the kids there. In your book, Freedomland USA, The Definitive History, what other characters were popular? And by characters in this time, I mean what particular animals were became favorites of the crowd? Well, we had in in the Great Plains uh, Borden's had uh, an exhibit. They had uh, a barn. And, of course, at the barn was Elsie the cow and uh, and her children. And you would go into the barn, and uh, Elsie and, and the calves were standing, but they would uh, make uh, uh, artificial beds. It looked like brass beds, and the hay was up uh, up to above their knees, so it looked like they were laying in bed. And that was a wonderful popular attraction with so many people. And outside of, uh, of the barn, you had, um, uh, you had a petting zoo. So the children absolutely loved that. And, uh, the, the park was filled with animals because again, you're recreating the 1800s, early 1900s. So they would have steers. Uh, they would have mules. A popular attraction was a mule ride through the, uh, through the, uh, Rockies. Uh, which kids would get on these mules and, and, and go up and down uh, the rocky hills that was created on this marshland specifically for Freedom Land. And Mike, can you describe what visitors experienced in the San Francisco area of the park? San Francisco uh, was right after you, you left uh, the Great Plains, and it was San Francisco of 1906. So it was the year of the Great Earthquake. San Francisco had a dark ride known as Earthquake, and you would get into these cars, and you would go through these through these doors, through various rooms, and you would actually see uh, San Francisco hit by the earthquake. As as you would first go in, you would see people in their wonderful apparel parting away at night, and all of a sudden the earthquake st- strikes, and the uh, everything starts to shudder, and you see buildings collapsing. And this was the special effects of the dark rides at the time. And uh, so th- that was one attraction there. But you would also, uh, once you came out of that ride, you would have uh, recreation of Fisherman's Wharf. You would have the Barbary Coast. 
you would have Chinatown, San Francisco Chinatown, and you would have uh, a couple of popular restaurants there. One was one of the first Chungking restaurants was there in Freedom Land. And you would also have a, an Italian restaurant because of the Italian uh, known population of San Francisco. So that would be featured there also. Uh, also in San Francisco, but it was kind of an offshoot of San Francisco, was an attraction called the Northwest Fur Trappers Ride. That was following Lewis and Clark through the Northwest Territory. And you would have, uh, you would see bears, you would see moose, uh, you would have coyotes howling, but this was all the special effects. Uh, as you go into an actual boat that was similar to what Lewis and Clark used and actually go through a waterway, uh, and you would have no idea that you were in the Bronx. You thought you were in the Northwest Territory. And I was a little confused. Did Old Southwest come next, or did Mardi Gras come next? No, Old South. You came out of San Francisco. You went well, into Old the South Old Southwest, which was the Santa Fe area. And there you would have uh, the saloon, which had a lot of the shows and would have original shows created for Freedom Land. Uh, you would also have a, a very popular attraction that, that many people still remember today. It was called Casa Loca, otherwise known as the Crooked House. <laughs> and it, uh, Crooked Houses were a popular amusement attraction going back to the 1800s. Uh, you would see them in amusement areas all across the country as well as in Europe. And uh, it was that the house actually was tilted but everything seemed to go in the wrong direction. So if you're looking at a table that's tilted toward you, but if someone put a can on the table, it would actually roll uphill <laughs> and out the window. Uh, so it you, was an illusion. It was all an illusion, but uh, it was a walkthrough attraction, uh, but people still remember it to this day. And uh, there aren't many of them around anymore. Only a few amusement areas still have this old-time attraction. Yeah, I think there's a Museum of Illusion or something now that kind of plays on that same Which idea. Could possibly be, yeah. So what was the New Orleans-themed area, Freedom Land? Yeah, Freedom you walked into New Orleans, and it was Mardi Gras. It was festival all the time. And this had some very interesting attractions. It had what uh, Freedom Land called uh, the King Rex Carousel which was an actual carousel built about 1912. It was a Denzel manufactured carousel. It was so unique because most carousels could be two or three rows. This was four rows, and it was, unlike other carousels, it was two levels, a lower uh, with uh, two rows on a lower level and then two rows on a higher level, and they just didn't have horses. They had an unbelievable menagerie of about 72 characters. You had pigs, you had lions, you had tigers, you had zebras, as well as the horses. And uh, Freedom Land purchased this. We're not able to trace where they obtained it from. We know the, the person's name, and, uh, and only a name, of, of where they purchased it from, and they purchased it for about $3,500. The Carousel post-Freedom Land went to another park, and in 1989, the owner of that park, uh, riding on the, on the popularity of the artwork of carousels, decided to break it apart and auction it off, and he got a million dollars for all the separate pieces. 
So from thirty five hundred dollars in nineteen sixty to nineteen eighty nine a million dollars to today, it that would have been priceless. Because of the artwork. The artwork. So intense. Because though that menagerie went back to nineteen twelve. Yeah. But also you had you had in uh uh in New Orleans you had an, uh two other dark rides. You had a buccaneer ride, which was think of Pirates of the Caribbean at Disney. Well, this was the this was the predecessor to this. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, I'm sorry, the the buccaneer ride at Freedomland actually was modeled on the original Pirates of the Caribbean, and uh, Walt Disney did not open his pirate ride until Freedomland closed, because. Uh, uh, the person who built Freedomland brought over a number of Disney employees, and one of them in his head remembered the concept for the pirate ride that was on the drawing board at Disney. So just a little history here. The Disney attraction originally was going to be a walk-through wax museum type of pirate ride. When it, uh, when Freedomland uh, used it, they used cars on, on a rail, and you would go through these rooms, which that's why it was called a, a dark ride. And then uh, after Freedom Land closed and Disney decided to go th uh, with Pirates of the Caribbean, they decided to change it to the water ride that we know today. So there, there's that history. There and we are definitely going to go into the history of your book um, or the history of Freedom Land in your book. Yeah. But I, I just want to continue on, right. on this journey. With, with, uh, with, uh, <laughs> I'm having fun on okay, this journey good. walking <laughs> to Freedom Land with you. <laughs> uh, also very popular in New Orleans was an attraction – about the American Civil War. The early 1960s was the uh, centennial commemoration of the battle between the states. So you were actually able to get into a, a correspondence wagon drawn by either two mules or two horses. It could seat about maybe 20 to 24 people. And you were under a white flag of truce. And you would actually be taken through the lines as the armies are shooting over you. The cannon are going off over you. You're actually seeing a soldier uh, over an earthwork firing and the fire coming out of the gun. And you're going through all of this. You're actually seeing burning buildings. Uh, you're seeing campsites. And it brings you all the way to the end to the surrender of uh, Lee, uh, General Lee to General Grant at Appomattox Courthouse. What is interesting is this was the beginning of audio animatronics, which is very popular in Disney. People who went to the 1964 World's Fair uh, had an, a wow experience when they saw Abraham Lincoln in the Illinois State Exhibit actually stand up. Uh, and, and Every, I remember it as a child, and, and you were just astonished. Because you had never seen it. You had never like seen that. But this was the beginning of Disney's auto, audio, uh, audio animatronics, and it, the, some of the initial uses of it were here at Freedomland in this Civil War ride. Yeah. So it, it, it was a history within itself. And a lot of, uh, a lot of people I've met along the way who are, have become Civil War buffs, got their first taste of the Civil War right there at Freedomland on this attraction. Wow. Uh, the, the, uh, New Orleans also had another dark ride called Tornado, and it simulated uh, the Midwest tornado 
that you would experience. So you go into a car, again, you go into these rooms, and the tornado, the winds by these giant fans are, are hitting the guests as they're going through, and all of a sudden you see a, 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 a cow going <laughs> across the ceiling. <laughs> so it, it, they try to make it as realistic as possible for the time. And now all of these were in the past, but there was one area of Freedom Land that focused on the future, not the past, and that was Satellite City. So what drew visitors well, there? Well, uh, yeah, once you came out of, out of New Orleans, you went to Satellite City, and they decided uh, to make this the contemporary and the future area because at the time we were uh, involved in the space race with the Soviet Union. So you had a flying saucer type uh, attraction there that would take you on a flight uh, you know, over the land uh, f from uh, f from high up in in the skies, uh, you would also have some mo uh, showcases of modern technology. You would have a blast off bunker where you could go in, and they would simulate a rocket going off at Cape Canaveral. Because again, this is pre uh, pre moonwalk. Uh, that that's absolutely correct. So uh, they decided to have. Uh, uh, a little fun with this. And there's also, if you needed to do anything modern in the park, you could put it in this area where it would not fit in any other area of the park. And the, the prime example of this is they decided uh, after the first season to have more entertainment and popular entertainers of the day at the park. Well, they wouldn't fit in Fort Calvary. They wouldn't fit in, in in the Northwest Fur Trapper area. But what they created in Satellite City was a uh, a band shell called the Moon Bowl, appropriately named, and they created a wooden dance floor, which became the world's largest outdoor dance floor. And you would have all the popular entertainers of the day, whether they were the swing bands from the 40s or you had... Um, you had someone like Louis Armstrong there, or you had all the rock uh, singers or the rock groups of the day, and they were able to do this in Satellite City. I've been speaking with Michael Virgentino, author of Freedom Land USA, The Definitive History. Tune in next week for the second part of my interview, as he takes us through the rise and fall of Freedom Land, the East Coast version of Disneyland. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon. <laughs>